What does choice look like? What does flexibility and convenience look like? And if we're truly going to focus on patient-centered care, that needs to be considered. Hi, welcome to HIMSCast. I'm Kat Jersich, Senior Editor at Healthcare IT News, filling in on this episode for Jonah Comstock. Our podcast today is brought to you by Zoom for Healthcare, unified communications that keep you connected and compliant. We've heard a lot about Zoom over the past year and a half, to say the least, and it seems like in many ways the term has become synonymous with video chatting. So in this episode, we'll welcome a sponsor guest from Zoom itself to talk about how the pandemic has changed the company's offerings, especially as the platform saw so much more use by healthcare stakeholders in particular and what the future might look like for telehealth offerings from Zoom. So thank you so much to Heidi West, head of healthcare at Zoom, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Maybe we could just get started with a basic look back. 18 months ago, it seems like forever. But what was Zoom's healthcare and telehealth business like before the pandemic? I think it's an interesting consideration given some of the work that had gone into the relationship with healthcare prior to the pandemic. Zoom had put some investment into integrating with the EHR Epic and was already working with a number of clients on serving for telehealth telemedicine prior to the pandemic. But because telehealth wasn't necessarily has adopted to the level uh, it was it was limited in the way that we were engaging. Pre-pandemic, we were seeing about fifteen to twenty thousand interactions monthly, and we were in the millions during the pandemic. So it was pretty intense the way that it had uh, grown and increased in such a short amount of time. But we were we were committed to the vertical and invested in healthcare prior to the pandemic. So you mentioned the EHR integration. I mean, I'm sure for a lot of folks, they hadn't even, by folks, I mean patients or users, they hadn't even really considered telehealth maybe before the pandemic. Or if they did, I know a lot of my peers thought of it as sort of a boutique offering. Like if you paid a certain amount to a provider, then you would have access to telehealth. And for everyone else, it might have seemed out of reach. And so at what point did you realize that this pandemic was going to cause such a big boom in video conferencing in general and telehealth specifically? I think it really came down to that March, March 20th, right around that date where you were no longer going to be able to even see your physician unless it was life-threatening or seen as essential. And there was such a scramble to figure out how to stay connected to your patients, how to stay connected to your providers and not lose that continuum of care, or if you're in the middle of some kind of need for care, uh, it, it jumped pretty significantly pretty quickly as our healthcare clients and net new clients that were just trying to find a solution to engage when they had no other option. And I, I think the CARES Act that allowed for some of the, the lifting of the challenges to adoption around telehealth really allowed for some flexibility in determining the best way to engage. So I think it was a it was that mid March. It was all bets are off. Here we go, 
and the CARES Act allowing for some of the no longer needing the originating site, being able to leverage different um, end user devices and ways that created a, a better connection point. It, it all kind of came together at once very quickly. Yeah, I, I remember that uh, very vividly. <laughs> um, I actually remember it because I was scheduled to fly on the plane on March 17th, and that was really when stuff started shutting down very fast. Um, and it's been different since then. Um, I'm, I'm really curious about kind of the behind-the-scenes aspect of this. So it's March 20th. The CARES Act is in, is, um, starting to go into effect. All of these hurdles that you may have been seeing are suddenly more easily cleared or not there at all. And so what was it like on the team at that point? Were you, were you trying to add more folks on? Were you trying to stay abreast of these challenges? Can can you just give a little bit of insight as to like what that was like? And I do want to share, I, I was not at zoom during that Mm. time. So I, took over for the great George Lillick, who had been at Zoom for a number of years. He retired, but I am very familiar with that time, and we have spoken about it um, an awful lot, so I can speak with confidence, but I I, I did want to acknowledge the time frame. From a technology standpoint and the ability to scale to meet the demand during that time, there really wasn't a whole lot of lift. Zoom is built for low bandwidth. It's built for increased need. So from a technology standpoint, Zoom was in pretty good shape. I think the 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 area where we needed to lift was our ability to communicate with the customers, how many people can take how many calls a day to help support those in need of the solution. It, it's, it's very unprecedented that it was that intense and that constant mm. I've spoken to many sales reps and engineers that were here last year that said they just decided it was time to go to bed or they would just keep taking calls. It was oh. it was really intense. There was a tremendous amount of responsibility that was tied to the needs of the providers at that time in looking for a solution and doing the integrations with Epic and finding ways to make this not create an ima- a whole bunch of friction, but remove friction in the way that patients and physicians were able to communicate. So the lift in the need to do all of those integrations and just the ability to have those available to take calls to help support. We did a lot during that time to automate different processes to help as it was moving so quickly. But important to note, technology, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Ability to engage was the challenge. And I will say from that time to today, the amount of dedicated engineering resources we have, amount of customer success managers that we have, uh, sales and engineering and marketing and support all dedicated to healthcare has grown exponentially in our ability to support and then continue to evolve in the way that we engage with our healthcare clients. But it has a lot more to do with the support and the engagement. The product itself performed well. That makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of what I was envisioning too, because if folks were caught flat-footed in terms of needing to provide this tool, 
um, I could certainly see that most of what they would need would be kind of on the customer service support end in terms of peer implementation. And of course, too, I know that there's just been mass confusion about uh, the way regulations have worked um, and whether those regulations will continue to be in place, especially during this sort of murky post-vaccination still experiencing the effects of the pandemic. And so given some of the specific challenges that are currently not in place, such as state-by-state licensure issues um, or some of the originating site requirements, which you just mentioned, is there a way that Zoom is helping to prepare its providers for the reinstatement of those challenges? Or are there things that your team is doing just kind of get ready for those if they come back into play? We are having a lot of conversations with clients about what does the future look like for telehealth and Mm -hmm. just regardless of what does reimbursement look like and are we all going to see what the federal government does for Medicare and take note and then go state by state. So there's so many variables we can't control right now. But what we can control is determining the needs of our patients and the competitive landscape that's been created out of this pandemic for telehealth. I I think the patient population, one of the biggest concerns pre-pandemic was whether or not patients would adopt the concept of telehealth, feel like they were getting a good care experience virtually. And we think that's done. I, I think a lot of people, there are so many different studies and different reports that have come out. I've se- I saw one by um, Penn Health in June, July so it, of last year. So it was still in the thick of it where people said they felt more engaged with their doctors, felt more aligned in many ways and felt the quality of care was positive. And some of the ones that are coming out now are specifically, do you want to continue to have virtual visit as an option? And it's overwhelmingly yes. So mm. a lot of the conversations with we're having with our clients has more to do with what does choice look like? What does flexibility and convenience look like? And if we're truly going to focus on patient-centered care, that needs to be considered, whether it's the reimbursement piece has to take care of itself one way or another. If it's a working toward a high deductible health plan and the patient has to determine a different way to manage their costs, whether it's with an HSA or different ways that they're going to support the need for telehealth, there, I think patients and families and the way that it created convenience and connectedness during a time that felt very isolated in other ways is the future, whether mm-hmm. reimbursement is there or not. So a lot of our cons- conversations are focused on the patient, focused on convenience, flexibility, and option. The other side of that is there are an awful lot of direct-to-consumer solutions out there now. You see them on TV all the time where if you want to engage with a patient and people are willing to pay cash for that. Mm-hmm. So again, it comes back to centering on the patient, understanding what they want and being able to provide an option with reimbursement largely being irrelevant. If they're willing to pay cash competitively, they may be looking at different options in the way that they can stay engaged with their primary care provider or whatever specialty care they're focused on. Interesting. Yeah, I I do think we're hearing from a lot of patients, especially 
millennials and interestingly senior patients um, that they that they really like telehealth and some of the, the folks in the other age groups it kind of tends to vary a little bit more um, but I'm wondering with regard to that sort of patient access aspect and the usability of tools I've, I've heard from some folks for example who um, are members of the disability community about the ways that some tools are more or less accessible or more or less user-friendly, especially to people who may have had trouble accessing in-person care. So did Zoom make any kind of accommodations or changes to its interface in response to feedback from users about, for example, folks who might need screen readers or captions or um, the ability to uh have an interpreter um, also in the call, things like that? We are constantly accepting feedback and determining what our roadmap should look like to improve and enhance the experience for everyone. My mission since the day I started was to provide a quality and equitable care for all. So mm-hmm. it's a lofty goal, but that has to include those who have unique situations in order to engage. So it it includes bandwidth and it includes the Mm -hmm. internet component quality of the experience itself, but then it also includes the communication aspect. So we've had a number of different enhancements to our solution to solve for a lot of what you mentioned. We had interpretive services that would include ASL within, um, we have that integrated into the solution. A lot of times people have their third-party interpretive services already defined. So it becomes the, how do we stay within the workflow you live in every day, looking at the different business partners that serve our health systems and, and providers every day, and how do we integrate it into the existing workflow to create as limited additional workflow or additional challenge or friction as possible. There is still work to be done. There is still the need to be able to solve for each one of those different variables that you highlighted. But Zoom is invested, committed, and continues to enhance our product in order to do so. We're even looking at different user interfaces where buttons are just bigger and some of the ones you don't need are removed for Mm. those who may be a little intimidated by technology and don't need all of the bells and whistles at the bottom. And we're, we're looking at all of those different considerations to serve and, and remove whatever friction exists and serve with the best possible solution for anyone. Yeah, the note about the larger buttons um, stood out to me because that's what I've been hearing from folks who have experienced um, brain injuries that sometimes, uh, not just with Zoom, with with in general, telehealth tools, yeah, that they really struggle with um, the ability to kind of interpret things on screens because their their brains have they, their brains struggle with it. Um, so that's really interesting, and I, I'm glad to hear that. Um, switching gears a little bit, I'm interested to know about the you mentioned the broader telehealth landscape, and it really stands out to me that. During the pandemic, people have started to use Zoom as a verb to mean video chatting, (laughs) not just for healthcare, but in general, Um, which is pretty striking to me because I think before that, um, 
for years it's been Skype, even though many people are not no longer using Skype. And so what do you attribute that brand saturation and that success to? I think it's a couple different things, but uh, I'll start with our CEO, Eric Wan, who was at WebEx and came and founded Zoom with an entire focus on delivering happiness around simplicity and quality. It's as foundational as that. And I think he delivered on that. This is a, a familiar experience. It's simple. It's pretty intuitive in that you know, I think about my mom, my, my mother is usually my test audience for anything friction or tech savvy related. And when we can get my mom on a zoom call for trivia night or just a family reunion type environment, then we've done, we've accomplished something. So I think it has more to do with the accessibility we had you know, we offer the free licenses for those who um, want to just experience Zoom the with the different, you know, guardrails around how to leverage the product. But the, the product itself is the same. The other thing I think that's important to note that when you look at healthcare, it's the same product. It's the same client. We're not changing from client to client based on the experience. And our whole vision at Zoom is to break down communication silos throughout all of communications in healthcare, bridging the gap between clinical and business. And it's the same client. So instead of looking at all these different niche or siloed solutions throughout um, communications in healthcare, having a ubiquitous experience throughout is really what I think attributes to the familiarity, the comfort and the quality. I, I, I think it's a combination of all of that. And we're grateful for it. We're almost, hum we're very humbled by it, to be honest with you. It's, it's an honor to become a verb. You know, as you were talking about the sort of ubiquity of Zoom in many aspects, I, I am also thinking a little bit about um, some of the privacy features and security features that I know had to get scaled up. Um, I am thinking less about with healthcare specifically, but more in general, about some of the Zoom bombing issues that people were having, especially early on in the pandemic when they weren't thinking about how to secure their connections. Um, was that something that your team took into consideration and had to pivot about? Or were there any kinds of changes to approaches that you had to make? Or um, even in terms of making sure that users and customers were well prepared to have secure links and to use passwords for rooms and the sort of things that we've seen um, get implemented since then. Security and privacy are at the foundation of all things Zoom. I, I think we all learned a lot during the pandemic, especially at the, on the early stages of it. And I have never seen anything like the ability for Zoom to pivot and have addressed something like you're mentioning that a, a year and a half ago and we're able to support the needs from a security and privacy perspective so quickly. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's probably one of our proudest accomplishments over the last year and a half is our ability to acknowledge this is, this is something that is critically important. We enable for HIPAA compliance across our entire platform. If you look globally, all the, all the different, compliance and security regulations we take very seriously. We built teams around it. So I think um, 
I think it's probably one of the things we're most proud of. We certainly don't appreciate any of the Zoom bombing or the issues that happened and um, recognize that there were areas for us to focus, but we, we were able to pivot awfully fast and support our clients. And I think a number of our clients have, have acknowledged that and recognized mm-hmm. we're with you in this and we're going to, you bring something to our attention, we're going to address it head on. And I think we've proven that. Yeah, I think I think Zoom bombing in particular um, was pretty disheartening for folks because there was enough going on. Like, do we really need to add in people? <laughs> for a, a blip of time, and then it was it was largely resolved. So I I think that speaks volumes to Zoom's ability to uh, to adjust and address. And, and recognize the responsibility we have, which we do. Speaking of that, what are some of the other big lessons that you've learned from the last year and how are they going to affect plans for the future? As simple as it may sound, our CEO's focus is on delivering happiness in all things. And if you think about what Zoom did do last year, the last year and a half, in a very isolating and frustrating and disappointing year and a half, they were glimpses of happiness. They were the connectedness of families. They were the ability for those to, it provided the ability to stay connected in a very disjointed time. So a lot of our efforts around building a broader platform around communication, communications and engaging, as I mentioned earlier, breaking down those silos, healthcare or any other industry, creating um, a more enhanced experience by leveraging Zoom as that communications in the background, it still sits at that foundation of delivering happiness. And we believe the way we do that is continuing to enhance our product by never losing sight of the quality and the experience. I think anyone who's leveraged different tools definitely recognizes the quality of the video and audio that Zoom provides. And then continuing to understand what does your workflow look like and how do we integrate with our open APIs and our SDKs from a technical standpoint. If a solution has that ability to integrate, think HL7 or Fire on the healthcare side, as well as the APIs, if we can integrate, we can integrate and work within the workflow that you live in every day. So do you have any final thoughts? I know we just spoke about um, the company's aspiration for the future, but thinking ahead just in the medium term to federal and state moves on telehealth and really um, the next couple months with regard to the pandemic and other healthcare needs, any sort of predictions for the way things are going to shake out on your end? I would never even presume to make a prediction my final thoughts on telehealth in general are back to what I had said earlier in respecting what the patient's Mm. needs are and acknowledging that there is an interest in having this be a vehicle for healthcare in the future. We have clients that are building these KPIs, these key performance indicators between on-site and, and virtual and How many no-shows are you seeing? How many additional opportunities are you seeing? If you think of behavioral health and the expansion of group therapy and the opportunity for more to be involved because of the the virtual experience and not having to drive for hours or 
whatever we're seeing clinical trials being extended beyond a particular environment. We're seeing all sorts of different recruiting and retainment of of talent, both clinical, administrative, and healthcare, leveraging the same experience. So I wouldn't I, I I'm not belittling the need for the reimbursement to matter, but if there are patients that are willing to leverage some of these direct-to-consumer solutions today, then we need to have that in the back of our mind if we want to continue having a an engagement with our patients that goes beyond in-person, determining what that looks like and working with a solution, an organization like Zoom that has your best interest in mind, they have the quality of the solution in mind, and they have the empathy to understand the responsibility. Well, thank you so much, Heidi. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. And thank you again to Zoom for Healthcare, unified communications that keep you connected and compliant. Thank you to all of our listeners for listening to this Zoom-sponsored episode um, and for listening to Hymnscast in general. Like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and stay safe out there. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you.